very nervous. Uh, no pressure. This is, a, this is not live, is it? I imagine whatever I say, you could just, you could just edit it out. Let's try it a few ways. Lou, are you in the booth? I am. All right, good. Uh, you know what, Lou, let's just play around with it and see if we can get it right, get this clip package on, and then, and then let me go home, all right? Yeah. All right. All right, count me in. Five, four, three, two, one. Wu-Tang. I'm just with you, Lou. Let's do it again. We're going to do it again. We'll get it right. Here we go, dude. Five, four, three, two. You know, when I was a comedian starting out in Washington, D.C., right here in this city, 1988, I'll never forget this, there was a comedy club owner that banned profanity from his comedy club. He said it offended his audience, and this was a, a cause of major concern for all the comedians in the circuit. And we all called a meeting, and we had the owners come, and it was the club owners, and it was the comedians. It was the classic labor dispute. <laughs> the club owners laid out their case. There cannot be profanity in these clubs, because that offends people. And there's a comedian who's still a good friend of mine to this day. He was right here in Washington, D.C. He stood up. And he said, he's black, I should tell you, because it's important to the story. <laughs> he says, I use profanity because I live a profane lifestyle. <laughs> he says, I don't have an insect infestation in my house. I have roaches. <laughs> my favorite comedians are like musicians. And the audience is their instrument. And the music they make is your laughter. And that's the laughter that I scored my entire life to. So now, some of my favorite American comedic composers. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Welcome to the Midnight Miracle.
Patrice O'Neill, Keith Robinson, Rich Valls, Jim Norton, and Colin Quinn. I'm doing a set at the Boston. And this is like when I just started getting into some of the rooms. And they were like, little dummy, are you in any clubs yet? And I was like, I got a set tonight at the Boston. You know, I've just been hanging out at the cellar every night talking. And they was like, we're going to come check you out, little dummy. An early mentor of Kevin Hart was a man named Keith Robinson, who still lives in New York today, but is from Philadelphia. From the day he met Kevin when he was a young comedian, he referred to Kevin as little dummy. I was like, oh, man, I'm so excited. These guys, I can't believe it, man. These guys are my friends. They're going to come. They're going to come. They're going to come and support me. This is amazing. I can't believe this. And it's like four people. It's like four people in the crowd at the Boston Comedy Club. And I got to do this set. It's like 12.45 a.m. And I'm still going to go and give them my all because that's what you're supposed to do. I just got in. And I'm telling a joke. And I remember hearing Patrice O'Neill in the back. And he goes, ugh. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, what? what? What was that, right? So I still try to keep on. So then Keith goes, ah. Oh, dude. <laughs> and like, then after that, Patrice gets louder. He's like, make it stop. <laughs> and I'm still trying to go through my bits. And they're just, they're just getting louder and louder. And out of nowhere, phone book comes flying to the stage. That's a thing in comedy. They threw... No, this no, wasn't a thing. a thing. This wasn't a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing. It was, it was not it was a thing. Mean. It's just what they found. Oh, I thought you meant metaphorically no, speaking. No, no. An actual phone book. He threw an actual fucking phone book. And he was like, we've had enough. He's like, let, <laughs> let these people out of here. Yo, tell them. In music, the same story happened. It's the bird revelation. Charlie Parker, somebody threw a symbol. A symbol at him, yeah. And that motherfucker, when they threw the symbol at him, was so upset, it was so insulting, that he sequestered himself. He practiced, he practiced, he practiced. Then they came, played salt peanuts, and invented bebop. In a single solo. Swear to God, the same level happened. Like after they did that, I went back and I remember, I remember fucking questioning all those jokes because they trashed every fucking joke. Remember, I, I had the joke about a midget, and it was like, oh, really? You're a genius? A midget joke? Tell us, tell us what, what did the midget do again? No, you real scared. You call a midget, Mister. I'm falling for it every time. <laughs> They're like, tell us, tell us, tell us what he did again. Tell us what he did again. I'm like, he walked in the door, and then I was like, hey, midget. And they was like, then what? Tell us again. You call him midget, mister. And then Voss came in. He was like, you lost me. Start over. Yeah. What did yeah, midget Rich, do? You call him midget, mister. They just kept killing me. And I remember going back, and I was like, fuck them. I'm going to figure this shit out. And I started redoing the set. And I took all the jokes that they considered hacky jokes out. I hung out with the midget for six more nights. <laughs> I got some real stories from him. I came fucking back and the set started getting stronger and stronger and the respect level started to grow, but it was never said. It was understood. Say it with your chest, little ass nigga. Do you remember uh, Jim Florentine and Jim Norton had this ability they could get the crowd to turn on you? Because they would sit on opposite sides of the room and they would start groaning your jokes. Like you do, you do a punchline, then they go, ooh. 
And then they get everybody in that section. Ah, oh, uh, oh, come on. They would do that. Comedy is not like hip hop. No comedians have shot each other. I used to hate Patrice. I know you guys love him. He used to hate his fucking guts. Oh, my God. That guy always used to push my buttons in a way that nobody else could. Like, you could see he, him. He did that with everybody. That's what made him great. Listen, that's exactly what happened. Finally, he hit the combo. Boop, 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 boop. I snapped. Yo, fuck you, nigga. You always got something about to say. Tidy, I mean, I was screaming on him. And, you know, he's a big dude. I was a little skinny guy. He's a big dude. He goes, day, day, day. I got quiet. He goes, I talk to everybody this way. <laughs> and and I, 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 I started saying something. I thought about what he said. And we both start cracking up laughing like, yo, yes, you do. But that's what I was thinking the whole time y'all telling these stories is that as comedians, the laugh, the ha-ha, that's really the end goal. All the mean shit, all this shit, this shit at the end of the day is just fucking funny. It's funny, but you have to be a strong person to get it. Like, I remember they pushed Burr's button. They told Birdie every time he ate chicken, it was like, we were at the cell and it was like, you can't no, eat. No, that was you. <laughs> you, you, you were saying that. They, they. That was you. You're trying to put it on them. That was you. One time, this is how bad the cellar was. The cellar was so bad, you couldn't even get nourishment. I had to think about how I ate for the rest of the time. I was just sitting there, and all of a sudden, he goes, Yo, look how Burr eats his chicken wings. I hate the way you eat. I never enjoyed food less. They trashed my whole fucking meal. I was saying Burr. I was, I was, I was trying like, to get it in my beard. I was like, Jesus Christ, Burr's sick. Look how he's eating that chicken. <laughs> The respect that I give to my comedic peers that sit at the top are there for a reason. There's work behind it. Bill Burr is a fucking machine and... No, no, no. I've what? never had to work for anything. I'm white as hell. <laughs> I just... My, no, my grandparents own 20th Century Fox. Well, that's not... And they just opened the gates and they said, whatever you want to make, Bill. You just come in here. This business can't wait for a balding redhead. Now, wait, Bill. Okay, the years ago, there was a night I was, I was waiting to go on at the cellar and Bill was up. And I, you know, I don't really watch comedians like that, which people think I'm bullshitting, but I just, you know what I mean? Not because I don't like them, but if you're about to go on, you in your own headspace, and there's all kinds of crazy shit. Everyone's different. But this particular night, I watched him. And, Bill, tell him what I said to you after. I completely remember this. Do you remember? Yeah, no, I, I didn't know you were watching me, thank God, because I would have bombed, because I was intimidated by how good all of you got, you, Dave, Louie, and all you guys were then, because I was new. Don't say Louie will get in trouble. I always say Louie. Jesus Christ, what else can they take from him? <laughs> the, guy just, the guy just wants to tell some jokes and people want to come see him, you know? Right. <laughs> you can avoid him easily. What is the problem? <laughs> anyway, so now that I ended my career, what's the question? No, the, the, that first night, we, we were sitting on the steps at the cellar. Yeah, and I came walking out. I remember I saw I was like, oh, fuck, I hope you didn't hear that. And then you were just, you know, laid back, Dave. You said something like, your point of view is so fucking dope. And I was like, oh, my God. And then you were like, it's going to take you longer to get there, though. But if you stay doing what you're doing, when you hit, you're going to have staying power. So true. And then I held on to that fucking statement for like the next, I don't know, six, seven years on the road when I play a half-filled funny bone. I still remember being in this one, just watching the waitresses, you know, the cigarettes, counting up the checks and shit. And I'm just having this feeling like, am I this guy who's not going to make it? Did I pick the wrong thing? I can't do this anymore. I would just think... 
It's gonna take you longer, but when you hit, I just, I just kept thinking Dave thinks I'm funny. But I called it, and I'll tell you what I saw. And I don't remember the specific jokes of this, that, or the other, but I, I remember that I had never seen a white comedian talk about race the way he did. With no animosity, no, no hatred, but even for me as a black dude, it was illuminating. And it was honest, and it was like ballsy as fuck. And I was looking around like, does anyone else notice this? Nobody sounded like that. My big thing is if I say something in that world or whatever, even like politically, if I get a certain kind of white guy in the crowd, I start hearing him going like, yeah, all right. Like that type of shit that I'm like, all right, I'm not saying it like that. So then I shit on him <laughs> going, I don't know how you just heard what I was saying, but I'm, you know, you know, they'd they start yelling, build the wall like kiss. Because, like, when you say stuff... <laughs> no, but, like, when you say something, you can't control how somebody hears it because it goes into their whole... I always say it's like drugs that have been stepped on, you know? It gets cut with their whole childhood, all of their experience. Like, when I used to first do the bits when I first met my wife, and it was just classic fish out of water, right? Going up to Harlem to meet her, and as the numbers got higher, and then you got into triple digits, the old school New York... It's just, there was no more me. And I was just like, yeah, it was fucking crazy. So the whole joke was just me being scared and describing the neighborhood and my experience. And I remember I was in Florida and how the white guy heard it. He came up to me, he's like, man, I like you. You ain't afraid of black pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's how he heard it. And I was just sitting there like, that is not even remotely what the fuck I was saying. But it was liberating to hear him say that because then it was just like, if he's gonna be that far away from what the fuck I'm saying, then it's not my job to babysit you. You know what I mean? So like a lot of people, I think on the left are doing that. They're like trying to babysit crowds and trying to babysit performers and trying to stick you in this hallway that you can now create in because like, if you don't say these words, they're not gonna think it or not. And it's just, it's stupid. I, I think they're trying to solve an unsolvable problem, unfortunately. No, but you're, you're very direct. Bill shit is, his point of view is not only strong, but it's, it's you. I got that style from doing Hell Rooms. A Hell Room is an unwinnable situation. I once played a place called the There was a salad bar right in front of the stage. If you could imagine, while I was doing stand-up, there were people making salad two feet in front of me. Well, that's a Hell Room. And it was a way to shut people up, is you would say something fucked up to set it up, and then they would stop, what the fuck's he gonna say, thinking it was gonna be a train wreck. You know, to lead him right to go left or lead him left to go right. I started doing that. You know, remember all those gigs back in the day? Listen, when you brought up the Boston, <laughs> I remember you at the Boston. No, that was that was a great room. The fact that you were even doing black rooms back then, it's like, this guy, it's just, most white comics feel like, oh, I'm not welcome there, or it's not like, I don't know what the fuck white comics were going through. Well, first of all, who I listened to growing up, I listened to all those Richard Pryor albums, so, like, his albums were so live, like, you could, I pictured the crowd, so that's what a crowd sort of looked like. And then um, when I started in Boston, whatever, I got to know Patrice, and then Patrice and Keith and them would always give me shit saying I wasn't as funny, like the black rooms were harder and blah, 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 and I just got sick of them saying it. So it's like, all right, I'll go over and do those. I felt like I was like in a, uh, an inferior league. Young, aspiring comedians need to hear what you're saying right now because if you love comedy, you'll talk to anyone that's willing to listen to you. You don't discern, like you know the difference between crowds, but they're all crowds, so you want to talk to all of them. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I heard Bill talking about in an interview if comedians collectively bought ad time on cable news networks. Oh, yeah, that was the problem, that we became these easy targets because everybody that was really doing the stuff, pharmaceutical companies, oil companies and all that, advertise on them so they leave that alone. And then we were just out there twisting in the wind. And it was so easy just to take a joke. And then you put it on the morning news, you know, with some soccer mom watching it, they're obviously going to get offended. So my, I wasn't serious, but I was joking that if we bought ad time, on Fox and CNN, all of that shit would go away because they're not going to criticize people that they're making money off of. I think because of the two guys that are sitting here outside of myself, a fucking Dave Chappelle and a Bill Burr, what they do is they're unapologetically not only honest, but extremely adamant about getting a point of cross that it's okay to just disagree. But you are too. No, I am now. I'm saying I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak about been. myself. I'm saying about you guys. You're unapologetically honest about this is how I see shit. I'm not saying that you gotta see shit like me, but this is how I see it. And if you notice, when Bill just talked about Louie, it's a very easy choice to just not go. And if you at home watching this shit on Netflix, remember, bitch, you clicked on my face. Or to just not watch it. Or to just not buy a special or a ticket. It's a very easy choice. But people are forgetting that you had that choice. You're acting as if you have to support the individual that says things that you just don't like. And that's not the case. That's exactly right. Like, even if you don't consume it, it should exist. Last night, I thanked my lucky stars I was hosting the shows. Bill, 100 nights off through all fastballs. Yep. Yeah. Well, you it know what's fun is knowing that people's phones were locked so you could you were free. truly you have right, the yeah. governor off, Freedom. which I cannot remember. Like, these fans of all of this shit are so fucking themselves out of so many better shows that they could have watched 
Everybody turned into like J. Edgar Hoover and just tries to rat people out and <laughs> tries to fucking catch you. And, and, and they do the shit that the news does. They deliberately take it out of context. People thought I was crazy years ago when I started taking home. Who's the first one to start taking the phones? I took the fucking phones years ago because I said, you're not. Hold up. You took it before Dave? I asked him. I, I, well, he took it more successfully than oh. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> This type of shit rappers argue about. Admitted. Who did it first? <laughs> right, right. right. I, listen, Dave locked them up. Right, right. Dave got the professional side of locking them up. I kicked people out of shows. I, I was the first nigga with fat shoelaces. What I was trying to say was, it's a beautiful experience out there. Before we get back to your accolades of what you did first, Jesus Christ, and your fucking IMDb page, you just hijacked that, that whole story. I don't like the job. Right, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know what? I'm gonna eat in front of you tonight. Just I don't to like that. Bill, Bill's eyebrows have been disappearing through this whole podcast. They just keep fading away. He's losing hair as the hey, minutes keep, go by. Keep tagging that. Keep tagging that joke. You'll get a joke out of that at some point. You're wearing the same outfit as my daughter. <laughs> How many white women do you have to All fuck? Right, Jesus Christ. I gotta let that sit. I can't That's come right back. That's enough of that. But just let the record show my wife has a similar outfit. Yeah. All right. Now, let's, move on. let's move on. Yo, yo, Yasin, what's up, bro? Who calls into their own show? <laughs> Just press all the buttons. You are such a Karen for saying that. <laughs> Michelle Wolf is exposing herself as a Karen. Just press all the press buttons. Press all the buttons. What's happening? Am I interrupting? I'm late as fuck. What's yeah. happening, y'all? Well, we're just wrapping the show up, nigga. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> are you just in time for the prayer? <laughs> to the one who has created the all, you know us better than we know ourselves. And we know ourselves better than others know or pretend to know us. So... Pardon us for our shortcomings, whether they be known or unknown. Make us better than whatever they say, and do not make us responsible for whatever they say. Amen. 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 When I was younger, I wasn't a big prior head. I always I knew who he was. I mean, I'm from the culture. I thought it was funny and all that. But the older I got, the more I was like, this is fucking amazing. Right. Not that he got to this thing first. It's not the way he engaged the audience. It was more about the way he was approaching his life, how he was throwing himself against the world that he felt hated him. Yeah. And he hated, you know, the fucking multitudes of heartbreak. Like, the more I'd learn about this guy, I'd be like, yo, this guy is fucking wild. And if you're a practitioner of stand-up comedy, he makes you love it more because... You know, that joke he says, I kiss show business every day. Show business, you fine bitch, he says. I always felt like he and Carlin, he and Carlin were like that duality because prior was so visceral. So much of it was so emotional. But with Carlin, it was technique. He was Barishnikov verbally. I think that at the bottom of both wells, there was a broken heart. Yeah, no yeah. question. Carlin, uh, one time on stage, he was saying, you know, they compare me and Pryor all the time. You know, I had a heart attack. Richard Pryor had a heart attack. 
He had another heart attack. I had a heart attack. He set us off on fire. I said, "Fuck that! I'm having another heart attack." <laughs> <laughs> the night that George Carlin died, I was walking into the comedy store as I had found out he passed away in Santa Monica. Alert went off on my phone, mm-hmm. and everyone kind of gets those alerts at the same time. Yeah. And, I, and everyone just kind of looked at each other, and I turned right back around and left the club. I said, "I'm not working tonight." Out of respect, the night that Gary Shandling died. I I was taping my special, so I couldn't walk out. And the saddest part is that I found out the next day he was supposed to be there that night. He had a ticket. So you killed this motherfucker. <laughs> no, <laughs> he probably died so he didn't want to see my set. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Dave Chappelle. I'm out. Let's pause here a moment. We drink a toast to human beings around the world, and what makes them laugh? This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. And now, the closer. Also, y'all did some nasty-ass jokes on my ass, too. Oh, yeah, y'all didn't think I saw some of these motherfuckers. Since you love me so much. I remember this one. It's strike the match like this one. What's that? Richard Pryor running down the street. There's a famous story about Richard Pryor uh, trying to meet Sammy Davis Jr., waiting outside of his hotel room all night, and then finally ended up meeting him and smoking cigarettes with him, and Sammy Davis Jr. giving him an encouraging pep talk. But you imagine that you meet this kid, and you're Sammy Davis, and you have no idea 
This kid's about to fucking revolutionize the genre that he's that he's taking on. And all he wants to do is meet you. You inspired him. When I was 19 years old, I opened for Richard Pryor. I met him before the show. He said my name, which was amazing. He goes, Dave Chappelle. He's thanks for being here. I'm like, oh my God, like thank you, man. Blah 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 and blah blah blah. I, I, and, and I could see that he was sick, he was using a cane. So I said to myself, I'm gonna throw the fight tonight. I don't wanna kill, I just wanna do just good enough to get him warm. But, but at that time, I had come to New York City to make it. The, the mantra is, bury everybody. But boy, not this guy. I wouldn't even try, it wouldn't even occur to me. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw the fight, I say. And I did, I did all right, on purpose. Even though I wanted to kill in front of him. I just did all right. Richard Pryor, then they go, ladies and gentlemen, they introduce me, they say, two most beautiful words in the world of comedy. Richard Pryor. He comes out to that song, I'm Calling You. AT&T used to use it in commercials. It's a real dark, eerie song. This is what he walks out to. No upbeat, nothing happy. And he goes on. You could tell he wasn't, it wasn't his night. Just wasn't feeling it. And then he stops. And he says, I want to do this for you guys. But I'm sorry, he says. He says, I can't. And you could hear a pin drop in the room. And the nigga in the back of the room stood up and said it like he wanted to fight. He said, we love you, Richard. My man, the place exploded. I've never, to this day, seen anything like it. It exploded. The longest, loudest, most sincere ovation. And then I understood what I was seeing. Oh, this is his last tour. And they want to say goodbye. It's went on and on and on and on. And if I hadn't been there that night, if I hadn't seen that show, I would not have known that was something to want. But ever since I saw it, I said, that's what I want. I, more than anything, that relationship that I was seeing play out, I'm like, now that's valuable. It was actual love. We don't care if you're good or bad, nigga. We just need to see you again. And I did see him do stand-up after that, like once. And it was a similar type of experience, but that night, he was feeling it, and he was killing. And every comedian I ever, ever respected, it was the first time I'd ever seen Eddie Murphy in the room. Arsenio Hall was there. Whoopi Goldberg was there. Robin Williams was there. And everybody, all the way down to young Dave Chappelle, packed into that room. And he was killing it. But that's what I wanted. And I think it informed the way I approached not my entire career, but definitely the stand-up. You have to give a lot to get something like that. It was, it was crazy. If you saw it, it was mind-blowing. I've never seen anything like that. It was, it was actual love. I saw it. It was actual love. Did you realize at that time what effect you were going to have on jazz? And you were going to change the uh, entire scene in the next 10 years? Well, let's put it like this. No, I had no idea that it was that much different. <laughs> That's my first conception, man. That's the way I thought it should go. And I still do. I mean, of course, it's done much improvement. 
most likely in another 25, maybe 50 years, some youngster will come along and take the style and really do something with it, you know? Could you take it in, knowing that you are that to someone? I couldn't even wrap my mind around it, but I. But, but I, you are, and all of you are. Know that you have that relationship. You took that inspiration from all those people, and you took that intentionality and put it into your art, and now you represent that. You're at the level now. You're a mature enough artist and person. You have a record of experience and creation long enough and deep enough to be that person for someone. And could you take that in? I couldn't, you know, the, the one of the beauties of, of the paradox of Richard Pryor, and I think about it when I go through hard shit and shit like that. And like, now, he's not a, a biblical figure, son, but you know what he is to, a, to people in our genre. And I'll think to myself, my hero felt so bad about himself once that he lit himself on fire. Just keep going. <laughs> 